Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And Kevin, we're still not alone. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't leave. He didn't. Now, in this next episode, this is part two of our conversation with Matt Whitman. It is a fantastic conversation. Will Whedon is in it still for the first part of it, but then he had to leave because he has family things, and we appreciate people who put families first. We like that. It's sometimes when we record, we have a hard time doing that ourselves, but this is a fantastic conversation. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot about us and how people see us, right, Kevin? Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And so stick around. This is a longer episode. This isn't going to be just the normal 40 minute ish. This one's a little bit longer for the second half, but it's good. Yeah, it is. It's good stuff. You'll learn a lot. We learned a lot. So sit back and enjoy. And ask any questions that this might cause you to ask. Yeah. But but look, you couldn't afford to give quarter to the Baptists in 1530. Well, it, it just couldn't happen. Boy, you know, I, I got to say, first of all, hearing it is is refreshing because we are always told that when people from further down the reform tree, if you will, look at Lutherans, they say the problem is they got stuck halfway. They didn't get fully out of the Roman nightmare. And so, you know, they they, they, they just, if they'd have gone a little further, things would have gotten. So, I mean, in, in essence, you just, you confirmed a way that we do here and think about your approach to things. It's just, sure. well, okay, that was, that's fair. That's, that's what I said. Um, but as Lutherans, not offense, but we, that's, you know, just disagree 100% that it's not about the, the, the historical condition because it would be hard for the Augsburg Confession, I think, to have maintained what it has where this historical condition has no meaning or vitality at all. And yet it's remained. I mean, right at the at, outside of uh, the congregation where I worship, outside almost every Lutheran church, you get this UAC, Unaltered Augsburg Confession. Yeah, that okay. Be, uh, I didn't know that's what that stood for. Yeah, I yeah. learned something with every yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, we and, forgot to get the cornerstone today. We it just did, didn't we come did. up. And, yeah. and, and, and like, I remember when I was on Vicarage visiting with, uh, we were doing evangelism calls, and we had to get a kid that escaped, it was back it was a long time ago. So he escaped from uh, 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 what was Czechoslovakia, and he got out, and he was here in America. Ladislav uh, Huerta, I still remember this, because when we came to the door, he was so suspicious hmm. and i had people with me i was vicaring in a slovak parish so we had people there who spoke slovak and he began you know begins like um i said we would like to talk to you about you know about jesus and he he looked at us and he gets this stern look on his face and he goes i lutheran of the augsburg confession unaltered and we were like we too, we too. And he was like, and clearly he was having trouble believing it. But here's a, a Czech who had nothing in that, nothing in that historical baggage, right? And he's still holding, or I shouldn't say a Czech, he was a Slovak. And he and he was holding tight to it, even here in America. So for us, the, the AC is actually just, we just think it's what the Bible teaches. So, I mean, and, and, and I can see the political and, pressures. So And just one thing, and I don't, mean to be offensive at all, but the Baptists that are being condemned in the Oxford Confession are not the Baptists in America. Right. At all. Right. <laughs> They're actually closer to the Mennonites. Right. Oh, well, that's um, fine then. If it's <laughs> condemn <Mennonites>. that. <laughs> I mean, it, but it honestly isn't the same tradition. I mean, no, Mennonites it, no. use it's technology just, and can listen to podcasts. Yeah. But it's not actually 
what you would consider a Baptist in America. Sure, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to with that. It's a different tree. Um, but, but the, and, and this is kind of a Lutheran thing. <laughs> we, we are German in a lot of ways, at least in the way we say things sometimes. And what's condemned is not actually the people. Right. It's, it's the doctrine. The so teaching. The, the teaching of those church bodies is what's condemned in those documents. And, so, and it's not even, we don't condemn adult baptism. Mm-mm. We like adult baptism. Matter of fact, we baptize adults when we have the opportunity to. Sure. But the, the teaching that infant baptism is somehow an incorrect teaching is what's condemned. Yeah. And, and it's worth noting that in the collected book, of the, in the Book of Concord, the preface to the book was written just a few years after the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre. And so, you know, the death of all those Huguenots was very much on their minds. And they, mm-hmm. they laid it out right in the beginning of the book saying, hey, man, we are not condemning Christians who err by a certain simplicity right. in the way that they read the word or whatever they haven't. We know they haven't come to agreement with us, but we we absolutely do not countenance the cruelty that was done to them. And we want no part of this. And we want to state this before God and we will state it before the throne of Christ on the day of judgment that we do not approve of the slaughter of those people. And Luther was utterly consistent with that kind of yeah. language as a man. Yeah, he was. Yep. Yep. So... Yeah, the Augsburg Confession. I mean, it's interesting your historical look at it, and that's I really appreciate that. Um, I think one of the the real values that we've learned in the last twenty or thirty years of how we talk about things is that we're all conditioned in the way we talk and think about things, and that's really helpful insight is is to look and say, would this confession have been the same if it was a different historical situation? And that's actually something that makes us unique in Lutheranism is that our answer to that question is a resounding no. I was going to say yes. I was expecting yes. <laughs> well, maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. <laughs> no, in the sense it would not have been. It, okay, there we go. Right. Right. And right. now we found the real different. fight. Here the it is. The confession would be exactly the same, yes. okay. no matter the historical situation. Well, it would That's be exactly it. the same, because you wouldn't be speaking to pressures the, that clearly the were theology, to Charles V. The theology in the Oxford okay. Confession would yeah. be taught exactly the same. Now, the historical words or the, the people's names, obviously, would be different. But but justification by grace would still be taught exactly as it is in Article 4. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So and we would still condemn those who teach otherwise. But mm-hmm. but no, no gospel, as we've agreed upon its definition, believing Protestant would disagree with you on that. We would all, we'd all be like, well, yeah, that's a literal read of an overwhelming, just gallons of New Testament points to right. that gospel. Right. Well, right. I mean, I think that the gallons the, of water involved in baptism, we would look at it and say, "Man, we feel like we feel like you're like, if 100 is the amount of evidence that you have to support your read on the gospel on the infant baptism side, I think most Protestants outside of your tradition would look in and be like, "Man, just your level of certainty there, it can't be equal." I mean. I, I guess I've heard people make cases for baptism but, that isn't a believer's baptism, but it's it's certainly not as strong as like this is the gospel. Well, the the our doctrine of infant baptism is the gospel. Literally, it the God who freely gives is the God who freely gives. And, well, and, and now and we're that just talking is about a slight now rub just, of difference between what I think most people in the Protestant evangelical tradition would say and where you guys are coming from, and, and I. To me, that's been like the thing that everything's come back to in all my conversations. It's been so fun and so interesting. 
in, and I love the way you described it today on camera, Will, this idea of confession and this this language that I'm, I'm still waiting for the magical turn of the phrase. It's like, oh, that's just how we say it. And then everybody gets it. But the language of it's very, 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 very important to you that the spirit did the work and there was not deciding. Like that word decide is <laughs> yeah. clearly very troubling. It's well, triggering. Well, no, it's, not, it's only just, it's, 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 yeah, it's triggering. That's a good okay. It's, it's right. triggering because, it, because we recognize that decision is not something that is, I mean, we do believe you need to decide every single day, right? I mean, I have no problem with saying that. What we don't believe is that your decision ever saves you. It was God's decision that saved you. And I right. think where the, the just I'd like to fight internet evangelical mm-hmm. would come from would be like, well, no, it's four spirits laws. And I heard that I prayed the prayer at camp one time. And, and you know what? I, I prayed a prayer at camp one time. I happen to think that's a legitimate way to become a Christian. So I don't know why I made that voice. I think, <laughs> I think those people, I think those people have a decent fair read on it. But, but the, the, the place where I think we would push back on that. And most people from who are, you know, who, who, who care about the same stuff you guys do and read the same stuff you guys do and, and read the scriptures overwhelmingly the same way you guys do is just, I guess in that same reformed line of thinking about what it looks like, I don't know how determined everything is. It's possible that abject determination is the way God has ordered the universe and that nothing we do is truly volitional. It's possible. It's possible that somehow the the Molinist model of history is actually the right read, that every um, counterfactual has been explored in the mind of God. If he has an infinite mind, surely he's considered every possible permutation of reality. Could be that. It could be that we pick everything and somehow that merges in a way with God's sovereignty and foreknowledge that we just can't wrap our brains around as finite beings. The bottom line is my Calvinist friends are very sure they've solved that one. I mean, especially the newer they are to Calvinism, the more <laughs> sure they are. They have solved that. We've talked about cage stage. Yes. I was positive I had solved it the year after seminary. Like, oh, Augustine, Augustine, Calvin, morons. Only I know. Like, it's just, I mean, we all. And then you started a land oh, war in Asia yeah, and learned right. otherwise. Exactly that. Way and, to go. But, but here's the bottom line. Like, we've beat each other up and, and all thought we had that thing solved for a couple thousand years. No one's going to solve it. Nobody smarter is going to come along that's like, here's the turn of a phrase. And it'll be like, oh, I'll just retweet that and we have it solved. The reality is that I think the, the evidence of how things are perceived by humans is on the side of the one that believes that we pick stuff. I don't know that I actually have ever picked anything, but it sure feels like it. It sure feels like I decided to do this with this thing right here and that I decided to aggressively point at all of you right now, even though I don't mean it. It doesn't feel like that was but you didn't ordained. De- you didn't decide to be born. But I didn't decide to be born. And, and again, I, I know that, that that turn of a phrase carries tremendous weight because when I hear it in your context, I get it. I'm tracking with you. Mm-hmm. So, but it doesn't carry weight outside a few other key theological assumptions. Mm-hmm. And so outsiders look at it and they're like, I, at some point you got to pick though, right? Even if God picked for you or the spirit made it possible for you to pick or made it possible for you to not sin or possible to, somebody, I don't know, whatever. Somebody's, somebody's picking pick. somebody's nose somewhere. But, <laughs> yeah. It's mostly my nose. <laughs> okay. So let me rephrase this really quick here. Will is probably going to have to leave us at some point and we'll just keep talking. But so if you have to do that, Will, thank you so much for joining us. We've appreciated having hey, you. Hey, thank you. It's been wonderful. 
we, we talked about this at dinner the other night, and I like the way you phrased it, particularly because Kevin has said the exact same thing. And so I think saying it the way you both say it, if I get it correct, is actually really helpful here. We're reading the same Bible verses. We know all, we know all the verses. We, we've all read them. We're all sincere Christians. We all believe this is the Word of God. Right. There, there are no new Bible verses that have suddenly popped up that weren't there before that now prove it. But at the end of the day, we're still seeing it differently. Why is that? Is that a fair read on the question? And, and I, I gave you, I gave you a center point of my hypothesis a moment ago, which yep. is history, because at the moment that each of our groups are born. There are political, philosophical, theological, social pressures that we like to imagine we rise above and they don't shape things. And the only group we tend to think they don't shape is us, but we can see it plain as day in everybody else. (laughs) And I am guilty of the same because literally if you put me on the spot and said, tell me how the historical moment shapes us, it would be far more difficult for me to talk about my See, and that's that's the part where I still, we've had this, we had this conversation too where I can see generally historically, but I I can't get my head around the reason I believe in the real presence in the Lord's Supper is because of the 1600s and what happened there. That's where I'm having a hard time understanding and actually seeing that as, as a thing. The reason I see baptism as regenerative and why it's okay for me to have baptized all my children is because of the 1600s. I mean, I'm probably oversimplifying it here. You are, but <laughs> yes, but it's still like obviously not exclusively because right, not exclusively. I mean, in order for there to be a like, context, there already has but, to be. All but kinds for that of to be like the primary thing, because at least for me, I I wasn't a part of any of that, and I actually learned about that stuff after I kind of believed these things. So I mean, we can definitely talk about the tradition that carried through and sure. shaped me into that. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Now you guys talk. <laughs> I just wanted to put out there that I'm also equally confused, and I think that's a fantastic question. So. I think, um, like I said before, I think this is this is kind of the fun conversation that that has been afforded by some of the philosophical leanings that have happened in our society in the last fifty years or so. Is that we all kind of realize that all of this is a bunch of presuppositions and results of other presuppositions and mm-hmm. narratives piled on top of other meta narratives and individual individuals and, and societies and move to power and all these fun phrases people throw around. Kevin, is this finally going to be our episode on postmodernism? Everything's going up on postmodernism. We just um, haven't said that. <laughs> but I, I guess here's, here's in my goofy way of thinking about the world, which is, admittedly not right we established we were weird at the very beginning yeah yeah we we can all be on board with that (laughs) that when you say things like well there has to be i kind of wonder if that's true like it seems like i decide and therefore there has to be i don't know if my perception actually dictates reality so that just because i perceive i'm deciding things it doesn't mean that that's actually what's happening right and i'm maybe i haven't communicated what I meant clearly enough. I don't think that at all means that's necessarily what's happening. What I'm saying is it's the only thing we can observe. Right. It or, feels or like it, whether it it's true be, or not, is irrelevant. But like many things in our world that we observe, it could be the result of something that happened previously. Sure. So the language in the New Testament about accepting or, or choosing in, in the Old Testament as well 
is written to people who are already in Christ. That it's not the decision that gets them into Christ. It's the decision made after God has already brought them into fellowship mm-hmm. with his son. So that language really doesn't talk about how we are brought into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure there's any mm-hmm. historical conditioning to that idea. It, it, it's just, it's more of a reading where God does the things that only God can do and humans don't participate in that. We simply receive it as a gift. And that doesn't mean that we're determinists because we're simply, we aren't at all. Uh, we do believe in divine foreknowledge and predestination, but we, we are not determinists. Um, we are individually responsible for the things that we do. That's part of the judgment of God is that we are going to stand before the judge mm-hmm. and give an account for the things that have done in the body, whether good or evil. That's in the scriptures. It's also in the creeds. So we're not determinists, and yet we believe that God does stuff that humans really have nothing to do with. We simply receive it as a gift. And then our decisions after that action of God are informed by that action of God, and they manifest what God is doing in, our, in us. And that's where we talk about by the Holy Spirit or fruits of faith and those kinds of things. Um, even the word faith for us is not something that humans do. It's something that God gives to us. Uh, one of the clearest confessions of our catechism is that we believe we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in one true faith. So that even this faith thing that grasps the promises of God or receives the promises of God is a work of God in me, right? Now, I might I might tell you that I just, I woke up one day and decided to go to church and decided to believe in Jesus and went to a camp and prayed prayer or listened to a, a talk and went, wow, that's really neat. I need Jesus in my life. But, but that doesn't mean that's actually what happened to save me. It could just be my perception as the results of the Holy Spirit working in me through that word to convert me. And the first thing I perceived in that process is that I decided or I accepted or I believed. But that doesn't mean that that's actually what God did to cause it to happen. Does that make any sense? It it does make sense. I think one of the things that I'm struggling to see is the value of working that through on the front end of faith. Like this is one of those places where even though I'm not a Baptist and I'm not going to be a Baptist, like out, outsider looking <laughs> after in this it, conversation, maybe though. No, 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 uh, no. I. I Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go attend one of your churches probably <laughs> next week here, actually. I've, I've really appreciated this. But you know, outside looking in at both of those groups and how they treat the front end, mm-hmm. um, the Baptistic model makes way more sense to me. Oh, yeah. It looks like we pick, pick. That's right. That's it. I, That's I don't, exactly I don't right. I don't see any strategic or gospel or even biblical advantage to being like, wait, hold on. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's what you guys are doing, but that's why I keep kind of banging so, on this drum is I really want to, I, I want to yeah. understand the relationship between this aspect and your theology and how it affects the front end of faith. And so when... Um, we talk about that person walking in the door of the church. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so... Late late 18th century, early 19th century, New England, like the last gasp of Christianity in New England before it <laughs> kind of began on its inevitable trend toward just being a place that's kind of associated with not really being into the gospel. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chuck. Obviously, there are... Uh, well, Charles Finney isn't really a New Englander, though. I mean, oh, that, good that effectively yeah. happened in the Rust Belt. Yeah. Utica, yeah. New York is about as far east. Good Oberlin points. College in yes. Ohio is associated with him. So that's a little bit more of a... 
you know, NFC North or AFC North kind of uh, <laughs> environment right there. He does like sports, so feel okay, free to right, go right, with that. Right, He's not weeding in that, that sense. Right yeah. So, but what happens is the hyper-Calvinism of the, of the people that I think respectfully maybe got a little too obsessed with this question got to a place where the, the complaint against it in New England was, you're telling people who want to be Christians, like they, they just can't sign up. And it was for a, a different reason. I mean, these were Calvinists and they were hyper-Calvinists saying, uh, there's not quite evidence yet that you were regenerated. You're probably not elect. Oh, but I want to be a Christian. Well, we can't really prove that you, I mean, what in the world? I mean, all of your you, elitist yacht you club You need to prove it to us, but you can't prove it to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so and so and so then along come your camp meeting types, your second great awakening types, and and we're going to give you and assurance. I mean this very, very gently toward people who are from a restorationist tradition. Good things came out of that. I kind of view the beginning of restorationism as the downhill slide for the gospel in America. That hasn't been a that has not been a good thing. The assumption that everybody was wrong until now. And we just got it right again. It was problematic. But what did the main forces of the church have in common at that time? They were either completely um, given to political maneuvering in the revolution and, and the wars that followed, or they were one of two traditions where there was real ambiguity about the front end of faith, either because you can't pick it or because you can't sign up even if you want to. And then who comes along and reaps this huge harvest? Crazy people, like crazy people who have visions and find magic boxes and learn magic things from God that only they knew as a new apostle to restore the church that was totally wrong forever until Apostle Jerry came along and solved it. I'm, I'm making up a name. If you're picturing some kind of Jerry, I'm not picturing any Jerry. That was and so, Jerry? And so I knew it. There is, there is a reaction that we know history will generate when a simple person outside of faith, Christian faith, says, your gospel makes sense, I want in, and we say, hold up, here's some stuff you need to know. And what I'm trying to get a sense of is I've talked with some folks where I got the impression they might pump the brakes a little bit with somebody on the front end and be like, okay, but you need, before any of the signing up happens, you know that wasn't you, it, your decision is an illusion, and this is actually something. And other people I've talked to are like, Oh, yeah, maybe we'll get to that later and they can figure that out. But if somebody wants to be a Christian, they should just be a Christian. So well, is this a I uniform think, thing? I or think is this it is not? fantastic because I've never thought about it in these terms. So, And I, n I never would have considered this to actually be a problem. Yeah. And I. That's awesome. So thank you. But I, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, think, I think the answer is, is, and again, we're all friends here. The, the question is kind of weird. I don't, I'm not the one that lets you be a Christian or not. I mean, what right do I have to say, yes, come in or don't? Okay. It's, it's, if someone says, I've decided to be a Christian, say, great, praise God for what he's done in Christ. I mean, this is, it's about Christ. It's about what God has done in Christ for a sinner. And if a sinner walks up and says, I decided to believe in Jesus yesterday, I'd say, great, me too. We're, we're Christians, right? This is, it's about what God has done in Christ for you. Hmm. Yeah. And then if he said, and it's all because I decided, I'd say, we'll get to that. But, you know, let's just <laughs> okay. get to all Christ. Right. Let's <laughs> get to Christ. Let's let's make sure, because for us, faith is not a thing. It's trust in Christ. So I'm not saved because I really believe. No, it's I'm saved through faith 
in Christ. It's, it's about what Christ is doing, what Christ has done, what God has done in Christ. So if you walk up and say, I think I'm saved because yesterday I had a green jelly bean, I'd be like, whoa. I ate the red one. Yeah, I ate a red one. I don't know what <laughs> that's that means. That's what happened. But, but I'd say, well, okay, I don't think that's actually it. But if they say, I had a jelly bean yesterday and, and it was red and I thought about the blood of Christ and I, and I said, God, I want to be a Christian. I want to ask you mm-hmm. into my heart. I'd be like, great. That's really weird, but that's great. Okay. Right? <laughs> right? Because, because it's, it's locating salvation in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. We say, you know, the essence of this is that you as a sinner— are now in what what a lot of people call saved. That's not a word we usually use, but but you're in the the realm of being justified of of being mm-hmm. a Christian because of what Christ has done. And they say, well, it's because I prayed a certain prayer. And we go, well, you know, we'll get to that. We'll we'll talk about that later. It's actually about what God has done for you in Christ. And, and we, the reason and we don't this think that either, right? Like we would push back on that just like you would. That well, maybe the maybe the prayer articulated it or right. something. That's cool. But maybe that's how you said it. Yeah, I mean. There is a sinner's prayer in the Bible, and it's the Lord's prayer. Right. Just Christ is king, right. provider of everything, ultimate judge. Your will is now my will. Whatever you want, I'm on that team. Right. And, and that's forgive the me, prayer. and I'll learn to forgive. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's exactly right. So, the the But the payoff in the front end is that the gospel is better than you think, because when you understand that salvation is God's working in Christ, that can never be undone. That's My a decision beautiful can be undone, answer. right? Beautiful answer to say the gospel is better than you think. Yeah. That's, I've talked with a lot of people the last three days. That is my favorite <laughs> turn of a phrase in response to my question that I've heard. That's, yeah, I agree. Now, however good you think the gospel is, the gospel is better than you think. Yeah. And, and it's And if that's why you guys are hanging up on the, wait, 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 the Holy Spirit initiates this thing more than seems efficacious or necessary from my perspective. If that's your rationale, there's just one more place where I might do it a little different, but we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, and I, we, we really spend our days trying to drive everyone to Christ. It's just... That's very clear. It's just so much about him and what mm-hmm. he's done. And... I have two daughters and I Me taught too. them every day of their lives that they are loved by a God whose love will never change hmm. no matter what they do. They can't undo God's love. And even on a day when they wake up and don't believe in him, he still loves them. And what he has done for them in Christ cannot change. And that's the effort of making sure it's always focused on what God has done and that we play no part because the part that I play, I will always mess up. But if it's all contingent on God loving us in Christ, that can never be messed up. It can never be taken away. It can never be undone. The the cross of Christ stands. The tomb is empty. The resurrection is real. He has ascended and he is returning. I've held a few cards kind of in reserve because of the way the exercise was framed. I've, I've, I've tried to offer a little bit more of... <laughs> Hey, this is how outsiders who agree with me, and I've also kind of tried to represent some outsiders who, uh, frankly, I would frame it different than as well. But you know, this would be the just kind of head scratching pushback that that I think you might get and that I hear secondhand. But one of the things that I've appreciated all weekend, and this is the first time I'm articulating it, is that 
I have this principle, this what you win people with is what you win people to principle. Mm, And I think there's a whole lot of things that are working well enough in American evangelicalism. The political situation- Skinny jeans. Is a mess. That is not working. (laughs) I'm not participating in that. Uh, You know, things are just, they're in a very compromised place right now. I mean, I can tell you what the problems are. That's not what this episode is about, but- (laughs) Um, but one thing that I think that I think there's an increasing clarity on with that crowd that you might not notice because you think evangelical, you think mega churches, and I think most evangelicals would look at that and make that kind of shruggy thing. Like I don't know, those are, I mean, those are just one-offs. Who knows what one is from one to the next? But we did a thing in the mid 2000s or in the in the the mid 20th century through the mid 2000s where. It really was that. Get them to the sinner's prayer. Get them to the finish line. Maybe get them on the conveyor belt for discipleship. But if you do whatever it takes to get somebody to sign up for your thing, what do we need to do? How do we need to cater this to you? What if I wear these pants? What if I have a beard like this? What if we have rock music? What if we have rap? What if we have both? Like, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Then, then what you're winning people with is the church and God and the gospel will bend over backwards to be whatever you need it to be, and you've won them with catering. And then when they come to church and it's time to do the Christian life, well, they don't want to do that. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for getting things the way I like them and feeling really comfortable and entertained, and now it's not entertaining. You know what I mean? Like, feed homeless people? Where's the fun in that? Do they rap? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) can I take a selfie with them? And post it and get lots of likes. That's what it's for. Yeah. And I think I think evangelicals are figuring out that that front end equation, the slower burn, maybe what you would call waiting for the work of the Spirit in a person's life, what we would call just more work on the front end to make sure people are clear on what this gospel actually is, that this involves crucified with Christ, death to self. Jesus was homeless. This might get weird. You're signing up at, frankly, a pretty bad time. Um, we're on the downswing in the market right now because people are kind of mad at us. It's it's not as comfortable as it was once. This is no longer the default social position to assume for things to be easy. It's now the hard, courageous social position to assume to make things, well, frankly, difficult on yourself. But what I'm finding is that with stuff I do on the internet, with the stuff I've seen in church as a pastor, the people who sign up for that absolutely kill it as Christians. And the people to my shame, I helped lead to Christ, if we can use that evangelical language in more of the let's get people in the door and get those numbers up mentality of the 90s and early 2000s, that hasn't yielded much fruit. And who's that on? Well, I mean, kind of me, let's let's be honest, kind of all of us from our movement. But I think we are figuring that out. And that is a place where over the course of this weekend, even though, like, respectfully, I think the... um, I think the pitch could use a little fine tuning, gentlemen. <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of baffling and labyrinthine to an outsider who's thinking about signing up in your tradition. <laughs> While the pitch maybe could use a little fine tuning, I I think there's also something that's really 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 right about it in that you're not going to have the problem with the way you guys are communicating the gospel with people flippantly signing up cuz it's easy and comfortable. And that's why I know I I think that's probably part of what your tradition owes its success to structurally obviously god gets credit for any success Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. structurally that mechanism is smart 
because um, when you get people in, at whatever rate you get them in, you're getting people who understand from the word go in church, this is what I do as a Christian. This is where I fit into this equation. Whereas historically, evangelicals have backloaded that. Let's get them in the door. Let's get them signed up. And then let's hit the discipleship harder, which we do very differently. Mm -hmm. I think we do, um, I think a lot of churches are actually very effective about it. They don't do it like a catechism. It doesn't involve memorization. And I think it's enormously effective. What I was seeing today with your students looked enormously effective. But there really is just this slight flavor of difference on the front end of what the last several decades have looked like and what you're doing and what we're doing that I think have affected results. And if anything, I think we're a little bit coming around to some of your principles. Well, it's... You said a a couple amazing things that I really... I mean, this has really been a fun conversation. Um, You know, God is... If, if if we can, just for a second, none of this is ours. None of this is you and me or even our church bodies. This this is God's kingdom that sure. we're discussing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want to read the scriptures and be faithful to what they teach us. We want to pray and be devoted and meditate on the word of God day and night and make sure that everything we speak are the, are the words of God themselves. But at the end of the day, we also also pray the Lord's Prayer, which is thy will be done, and thy kingdom come. Those kind of movements where it, this is God's kingdom. And I don't know why he permits denominationalism. I don't know why he permits the church to fall apart at times in societies. You know, it's historical movements, it's bad decisions, it's good decisions that go awry or whatever. But it at the end of all of this, we, we we do acknowledge that the God who created the universe is not confused by all of this. I am. Maybe mm-hmm. you are, especially talking to me. But No, I agree with both things you just said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm confused. But this is this is somehow the amazing mystery of a God who loves sinners, who who sees this entire mess and and yet looks at you and says, I love you and, I, and I'm going to spend eternity with you and I've done everything necessary for that to happen. I've sent my son, you know, I've provided my spirit that you might believe and I've forgiven your sins and yeah, you know, this church is all about discipleship and this church is all about sacraments and this church mm-hmm. is all about fellowship and this church is all about the youth program. But in every one of those instances, God says, but my word will proclaimed and my church will survive and I will preserve and I will be faithful to my promises. And, and that's really, you know, the heart of all these discussions is that somehow God is at work and his word refuses to be impotent. His, his word Mm -hmm. refuses to be benign. It's working. It's forgiving sinners. It's drawing people to the cross of Christ. And, you know, church bodies do it differently, and we're not going to pretend that that's not true. We, we have differences of doctrine. We have differences of opinion on doctrine. And yet, you know, we really just get people to Christ and, and leave them there. And, 
if we do that and we're driving every person we meet to the reality of God's love for them in Christ, then that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. And yeah, that's all I pray that we do, whether we're Lutherans, whether we're brothers in Christ that have different denominational affiliations, is that we, we kind of look at all of this and say, but it's, it's really about a God who loves and a God who loves specifically in Christ. And that, that we do a lot of work on making sure people know the doctrine, right? That's kind of huge for us as we, we <laughs> catechize, we memorize, we rehearse Sunday after Sunday, the same words so that they're in our, in our coconuts because we right. know that our sinful nature will teach us something different. Otherwise we're we just banging out. two empty offs together. Right. <laughs> And and we really do believe in in the the sinfulness of man that that our sin is always warring against this good news in us. So that as soon as I walk out of church, my body's gonna my brain's gonna teach me something different than what the liturgy taught me, and the word of God is gonna yeah. kind of not seem as good as it did when I was there because I'm gonna be influenced by something else and probably myself worst of all to teach me that I'm God and God isn't. So we spend a lot of time making sure that that we instruct in in the truth of of the doctrine as revealed in Holy Scripture. Um, other churches concentrate on, on different ways of doing that, you know, like you, like you delineated a little bit, but I think really it's, you know, the, the Lutheran way of thinking and working is to always make sure that when it comes to the thing that we need to relate to God, that we always look to God and rejoice that his love is actually stronger than we thought it was that his promises are even better than we thought they were, that I have nothing to fear because salvation has been accomplished and, and I can rest in that. You know, even if I mess everything else up, I can rest in the fact that God loves in Christ. So that's that's kind of how we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate and resonate with all of that if, like I would have believed you if you'd, told me that before this weekend because he's believe other Christians but I I see it better and I I get what the game plan looks like better after just hanging around talking with people going to church getting to pester Will for hours today (laughs) with the camera on and we like pestering Will he's a good sport about it yeah and I would I would just go back to what I was saying earlier it it really is like in the last 150 years two traditions running with basically the same gospel um, ran parallel, grew up parallel next to each other. And um, there was just enough separation and isolation that it's very interesting to jump over here and talk with you guys and see how that's manifested. And so on the one hand, there's the cold anthropological aspect of that where it's like, oh, well, aren't you all interesting? <laughs> but then there's the other aspect where it's like, well, not only aren't you all interesting, but you're like, you're me just uh, just on a little different timeline here. This is yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so you, you had, we had started off with your three questions from your friends, family. How is, how does salvation work? Second one was kind of sacraments, baptism, yeah. how that all fits in. The third one was, where are you guys? Is that kind of 
Yeah. What, I mean, what was the third one? I'm blanking on I that one. I don't think anybody would say sure. it's super mean. I wouldn't even say, I, I think earlier I used the phrase like, but we're isolationist. Doesn't play well of. with others. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say that. It's just doesn't play with others. <laughs> like, I, I just, people know you're here. They know that theoretically we kind of think the same stuff and that you're like the Lutherans that were all like, oh, yeah, those guys. Oh, they're great. Oh, I'm they're told. still here. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten about them. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. And, Kevin, uh, what's wrong with us? Well, I. And to be clear, I'm not saying there's something wrong with you, but I, that's why I said it. Okay, all right, all right. I'm putting my words in my I mouth. I will let you do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I don't know how you answer that. <laughs> what is wrong with us? I think that's actually something that we see ourselves that we we don't really want to be true about us. Um, our doctrine is actually the opposite of being closed. We want to share this amazing good news with the whole world. And the fact that we sometimes stumble over ourselves and make it appear to the whole world that we want to be alone is really frustrating. It really is frustrating to me. Um, I, I, I really... Let me phrase it this way. What are we afraid of? Yeah. Because I, I, I think we are afraid of something. I think we get... We have a tendency of of thinking that that if we let any possibility of false doctrine in, then people will believe a false doctrine, and and that fear of false doctrine sometimes stops us from doing things that we should do with the trust that God's love is actually stronger than false doctrine, which is an ironic thing for us to say as Lutherans because our doctrine would be that God's love is actually <laughs> the thing that conquers oh, false the doctrine. Irony, right. but. Um, I do think that's a, that's something that we need to face and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but, um, as it's the church, end of the episode, they've stopped they've listening stopped at listening this point. We're good. Who do you get in trouble with? I don't know. <laughs> this mystical they, right? Okay. I was just checking if there's like an actual, like, you know, group that's going to be like outside the door in uniforms or something when we're done. But... They could be. Okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> Who knows? I will make plans for that. <laughs> yes, over exactly. there. <laughs> You're fine. They won't go yeah, after won't you. you. They'll just go after us. Oh, we're okay. Gonna, yeah, um, cool. But I do think that that um, as you observed very accurately, that a lot of the foundations of our church body is the result of conflict and pressures, whether it be political or even to be totally blunt, economic and situational. Um, so as a result of that, we we are a church body that kind of ran and hid and did so for good reasons. Um, mm-hmm. So we still have that where we're we're still, it's more comfortable for us to talk to people who agree with us than it is to be in the world in which no one agrees with us and we don't know how to be simply faithful and play well with others without letting them all of a sudden have more influence on us than we want them to have. I think that one sounds of, strange. I, well, I think one of our fears is that if I'm seen with that person, people might think that I believe everything that that person believes. Ah, uh, the right. old stance fallacy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's As a if fallacy. Everyone cares yet... about our stance. <laughs> right. Exactly. And or or if if I affirm this individual as a Christian on a podcast who's not a fellow Lutheran, uh oh, am I now endorsing every single thing so, that he says everywhere, every time? So you said that. And I'm not saying that you necessarily believe this, but you're saved because you said the sinner's prayer at a camp sometime. 
That's not why I think I'm right. saved. I know, but, but I did say that prayer you once. You said that, right? Yeah. And so now I'm on a podcast saying I count you as a brother in Christ. And then people are like, well, but he's wrong on justification, which like, is the like, doctrine of which want, the church stands Do you want falls. me to explain why I'm a Christian so you won't get yelled at? I no, should, it's fine. <laughs> no, okay, right. I actually. We're using this as an example. I, because sure. this, this, We actually know why you're a Christian. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> that's I why we I went I can't remember if I mentioned first. this at the beginning or not, but no, I've got good. this uh, YouTube channel <laughs> and a bunch <laughs> right. of people watch it and there's a comment section. So everything you're saying, I'm totally tracking with. Yeah, right. and, and you know what? Let me bounce this your way. Every time I've gone and done one of these these bigger videos on my channel where I go to another church, that whole crowd comes out and it's pretty monolithic. I learn a lot about that crowd. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but there was one crowd where I honestly, I got done with their commenters, thousands upon thousands of commenters from this group. I read them all and I came away and I was just like, no one's ever going to sign up for your church. You guys are done. Right. You don't know it, but right. you're done. You're yeah. super nice people. And everyone I met was great, but you commenters, you're just terrible. You don't <laughs> care about anything that matters. You're mean and abrasive. You're mad at everybody outside of you and you shouldn't be. You have this beautiful tradition and, and I mean, you're even pretty clear on the gospel and you're you got you got competent leaders in this beautiful history and you want to fight about that you want to yell at that guy over that like you want to freak out and use that kind of language and that kind of caps lock over the seating arrangement oh no you poor people and so you know i feel a degree of sympathy when i see that stuff yeah another group comes along and you know their thing that they're going to be upset about is that doesn't just look like my version of the thing well, of course not. I mean, it's America. Like, only McDonald's looks just like itself everywhere you go. It's just and not. And how even things... that's not the same everywhere anymore. Not quite. Yeah. And and so, I, I have to admit, I I can't wait to meet your people, and I'm and I'm going to meet them <laughs> in the comments section. I'm going to meet them en masse. Yeah, you are. And honestly, um, one of the things that I hope to be a few years into this. Is I kind of hope to be positioned in a place that most people can't speak to with any kind of actual data set and be able to speak to it with a data set where I'm like, look, I can't tell you how these folks are face-to-face uh, -face in real life. I've only hung out with a few dozen of them at different times, but I can tell you how your church does on the internet. This is who you are on the internet, and y'all, you're doing okay. Y'all, you're doing this really well. Honestly, you, you guys, guys are kind of jerks. You need Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and I don't and I don't mean you. I haven't met you on the internet yet. Yeah. But I, I'm going to learn a lot about the reality of these perceptions here over the next couple of months. And I'm fascinated to see what the what the feedback is. Maybe what we're talking about here is an, a leftover illusion, a leftover perception from a prior generation. And maybe it's not that way. I, I don't know. I'm just getting to know you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. The, I'm not the arbiter of anything. Right. Who knows? Right. Um. Maybe the um. Maybe the comment section will demonstrate that that there's some merit to that. I would. I would throw this out, and I, I and I know that you find my historical theories a little bit dubious, and that's okay. <laughs> um. And that's okay. Um. I think you would sign off on just about everyone I have about everybody else. But, <laughs> um. But They're called blind spots for a reason, Matt. You you make a fair point in talking about um, the just the historical moments, the theological, the social moments that say run and hide and withdraw. Well, let's be honest about those things. 
Okay, you had you had a six hundred thousand person dead war in the in the first half of the seventeenth century. So we know this thing can go to blood. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing. Well, I'll come back to that point in just a minute. Um, you have got a weird mingling of Germanic Lutheranism with the with the English Reformation because your guys accidentally became kings of England and they didn't even speak English. I mean you you had I mean you had you had German monarchs of of England in the in the eighteenth century. Weird that mushes together all the religion. You had a Dutch monarch in England. So that mushes all of that together. Scotland is part of England sometimes and sometimes it's not. Well that mushes the Presbyterians and everybody follows Knox together. Westminster mushes everything together. And so there's all kinds of pressure there. On top of that, you got Napoleon. You've got um, you've got all of the politics of all these tiny little states in Prussia and historic Germany. You've got the Saxon kingdom, and this is not stable. People might like to imagine that these are gigantic, stable things. They're changing from generation to generation. Who you are and what you thought could go from cool to not cool in less than a lifetime. And there were consequences to that. Losing property, losing privilege, losing the ability to worship the way you want to. I mean, for crying out loud, Prussia gets ahead of Saxony for a while, and they're like, all right, uh, I don't know, that tribe and that tribe, y'all are close enough. Be on the same reservation together. Well, where I live, we, you know, we tried to cram two people groups that weren't the same onto one reservation together, and it's the most violent reservation in America now. Mm. Same thing happened. Well, guess what? Some of y'all were super, super smart, and you were like, ah, yeah, we're out. There's no way this can work without it getting bloody or horrible. We're just out. And so they bailed, and they came here. Smart. They also came to a place where land was affordable and it could work out, the Midwest. Smart. That also meant that there was no impetus to really get on the whole English thing early on. It's not dumb. It's just not advantageous as a long-term plan, especially after the German reunification in the late 19th century, and then just the bizarre unfolding of the events leading to World War One, and because of somebody deal, somebody signed with somebody else 50 years ago, I guess we're at war with Germany now. Uh, so we're fighting Germany as Americans? Uh, okay. I mean, I guess we had some paperwork. As you got World War One, and if it had just been another quick spring campaign, it doesn't affect you guys' standing or where you fit in the equation at all. But it wasn't a quick spring campaign. We were at a perfect equilibrium point with all the right weapons of war to to bog down in trenches and not know how to get one inch toward victory. So we just sat in trenches and murdered each other for several years. And it changed the generation. It changed our sense of optimism. It changed what we thought about God and church. And it changed what we thought about Germans in America. Uh Uh-oh. Well, now you got this little enclave. And frankly... (laughs) And they're all speaking German. They're all speaking German. And so, of course, there's going to be some suspicion, especially because the Germans, last I heard, were the ones who were saying our Bible isn't true fundamentalism is going to be very skeptical in the early 20th century of who you guys were. That's not fair. You guys were on the same page. And part of the reason you were leaving Germany is the same reason that the fundamentalists, you know, were were irritated and grouchy with what was going on with German liberalism. But they don't know that because they speak English and you all speak German. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, and then I, I'm sure you guys heard about World War II and everything that happened there. And Yeah, that was a thing. And by the time yeah. that gets over with... Um, you know, the the relationship between German-speaking America and English-speaking America has gone through the ringer. People forget this, but the first half of the 20th century 
was was very challenging for second and third generation Germans in America. Surely that had to affect your expression of church. Mm-hmm. And then you hit 1950, and now you're out of the modern era, but you guys have had to dig in deep into that modern mindset just to survive on two different continents, through two world wars, three if you count the 30 years war, which I think of that as being truly World War One. And so then you get into the second half of the 20th century, what do you come out to? Well, a new brand of American liberalism, and I wouldn't blame the the emerging German-speaking Missouri Synod Lutheran Church for being like, ah, maybe we'll just lay low. We liked it back over here. <laughs> I see what y'all are doing. We're not really into that. And so by that point, you're almost to our lifetimes now. And we started this conversation in 1600. Where in, in what I just described to you, was there an opportunity culturally, historically, linguistically for us to all rally up and get on the same page as evangelicals and gospel-believing Americans? I mean, this is all very recent history. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe my historical theories are all just complete nonsense, but I kind of think maybe there's something to that one that maybe just now is really when the window is super open and it makes obvious sense for us to be like, oh, yeah, you guys, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it might look a little different, but I think we're mostly on the same page. Sweet. High five. Let's see what we can do. I do I do actually agree with this one in terms of why haven't we interacted more? Because I've had similar thoughts, even just the German speaking alone, because when I first became Lutheran and joined the LCMS specifically, as a as a trained anthropologist, that's my degree from college is anthropology, and looking at these differences and, well, why didn't we? I think a lot of those influences were the same ones I looked at and said, well, okay, yeah, that, that one, and that one. And now we have the internet. Okay, I guess we can talk now because we've got the internet. Hey, it's good for something. <laughs> Finally, something good came out of the internet, Kevin. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add one little tweak to your historical thing because it's a, it's a little fact that you might not know. When the Saxons came here to the U.S., okay. we weren't farmers, correct? Largely not. Largely so you just not. To figure it out? Yeah, and you know who helped us figure it out? The reformed. We went well, to why them. Why did you just stay in Prussia? <laughs> Come on. They literally saved our lives in those first couple winters because we didn't know how to farm so y'all and would have here. died. That's oh I mean, the, yeah, the irony divine irony. Not even, I, is that divine irony? How does this work? Or or, or I don't know, Christian character kind of tries yeah. differences. That's awesome. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean yep. What Christian brother wouldn't you do that for right now if you had the means to help? Exactly. I mean, come on. Of course you exactly. step up and do that. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I like that anecdote. I will remember that. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is extend grace and say, look, um, all of these groups happen in a moment. All of our traditions happen in a moment. There are things so far beyond our control that are acting upon us that we feel like we have to respond to. I mean, there's there's bloodshed that we had nothing to do with. We didn't pick that. We didn't want it to happen. And and maybe I'm just trying to frame this up because I feel like my movement is right now and in the very near future really in need and going to be in need of people to give us a gracious historical out to be like, all right, look. In fairness, you guys were kind of born into this. This happened scientifically. This war occurred. 
it, mass media happened. You guys tried to jump on the train. It went okay <laughs> at times, but oh no. It derailed. And yeah, yeah, you guys tried to make movies. Yeah. And, <laughs> I know. We tried. We thought it was a good idea. You guys tried to make theme parks and stuff, and it just ah. Uh, God oh, bless the y'all. Theme parks. Oh, you know, we're yeah. all we're all both beneficiaries of and victims of our moment, and, and and the truth is, and the truth is we are. But I I would offer this one more thought regarding when our theology calcifies in these movements, where I see that happening, is as soon as someone has blood spilt or spills blood. It's like adding that that bonding agent into your epoxy, and all of a sudden it goes from a fluid into that hardened resin. You just add that little thing, and boom, because you can't be wrong now. Yeah, you can't be wrong. As soon as you killed somebody over it, as soon as you burned down a couple of Catholic monasteries, smashed some stuff, as soon as other people killed you for it, there's this human thing, and this goes beyond church. There's this human thing that's like, I have to be right. And honestly, I think I think one of the things we don't admit. It's very difficult to overcome when we talk with our Catholic Orthodox brothers, when we talk with folks from around the broad range of Protestantism, is you want to go back and look at where we dug in, each and every one of us. We dig in and we harden up and we kind of freeze frame that moment of theology where the blood starts to be shed because it it just has a calcifying effect on humans. We need to give meaning to that death, Mm. even though we have all the meaning that we need in death in the gospel and we're clear on this. We're human and we're frail and loss is very difficult and we want to honor those hard-earned things that have come. And so you do not have to sign off or buy my theory at all, but I do think there's something to that as well. And I think if you go through the first hundred years of the Reformation, the moment where you see all of the theology turn to carbonite for each successive group is exactly when the blood starts to be shed. And, 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 Part of the beauty of the Reformation is that theology is so dang good and biblical that overwhelmingly, okay, fine, it can be a snapshot right there. That's great. That's defensible into perpetuity into the future. And, you know, with with evangelicals, we're kind of in a different place because we were born into super easy and it's been super easy until now. And now we're making it very difficult on ourselves and others and beginning to understand what not super easy looks like. I, I want to affirm that because I think where we see that happening in our own our own circles, Kevin, you and I have talked about the whole cage stage thing. I kind of talked to you about it, but sure. I think the whole idea of where blood is shed, I, we we we've touched on this a little bit, but the whole Lutheran testimony thing. I used to be this, and now I'm a Lutheran. We pe- we we have those stories as well. Hmm. Okay, and where. I think where we run into those same problems, and I, I mention this because I I hope in this conversation we can help people avoid doing this, is maybe they don't shed blood, but they have arguments with friends, <sighs> with family members, with people they love, yeah. and they cross a line that they can no longer, you, that you can't come back from in mm. the words that they've said or maybe how they've said it or how they've approached it. And so now that they're Lutheran, they've actually drawn a line in the sand over something other than, I, I just, I want to tell you about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Mm-hmm. Being Lutheran becomes something other because now, look, I, I destroyed that relationship. I 
this has to mean something because I lost that and I want to make sure. And yeah. so I'm, I'm hoping as with what, with what you do with your videos and introducing people and what we're trying to do in Crucial Productions, having these conversations in this way, ha- talking about things in this way can help maybe prevent some of those moments from happening because we can extend that grace to each other a little bit more, especially to the ones that we love who are the outsider saying, wait, you became a what? (laughs) Who? They don't play well with others. I can't have the Lord's Supper at that church now. What have you done? What have you done to our family? Um, My prayer is that having these conversations actually helps those who are listening and us navigate those situations in a more grace-filled way. Kevin, any thoughts? Well, I I think that your historical reconstruction is interesting. Um, Mine or I'll, his? I'll take interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but the converse of the entire observation is that there is a truth that's worth shedding blood over. And, you know, that is something that we also have to wrestle with as, as Americans, is that the day is coming quickly when they will knock on your door and insist that you confess a different truth. And is the gospel worth shedding your own blood over? And I think that's, that is a conversation we need to have is that, you know, there are, there are things that I'm willing to die for without any hesitation, but those things are very few. And the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that thing that without compromise, I, I would happily, wolf, willfully die for. And, and I think in a world in which that might be a reality, probably not for us, but maybe for our children, these conversations are essential, where we can look each other in the eye as brothers in, in Christ and say, it's, it's the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done in Christ. And we pray that no blood is ever shedding in over stupidity or, you know, goofy opinions. Pride. But but when the day comes that I have to stand with you and defend the gospel at all costs, then we pray that we'll be able to do that together and that the Christian church will stand and by God's grace survive times of persecution, times of bad decisions, times of whatever, and that the more our conversation draws people to the reality of grace, the reality of God's grace in Christ for sinners, then that is actually the way the kingdom of God advances. It's just mm-hmm. the continued proclamation of the goodness of Christ. And, mm-hmm. and that's really, um, that's the thing that's worth shedding blood over. Your own blood, not somebody else's, but your I'm own tracking. blood. Yeah, I was tracking and, from the beginning. And that's, you know, that's, that's really where... I think we're at in all of this is let's just make sure whatever we do, it's for that one thing that is worth it. And that is the, the proclamation of grace, right? God's grace in Christ for you. And that is the crucial conversation. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure talking with you. I'm so glad this, this worked out real quick. Tell people where they can find you on the internet. Sure. The 10 minute Bible hour on YouTube is just, ton of videos and they're mostly fun. Uh, the tmbh.com gets you 
pretty much everything that I'm working on. Uh, the 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast on any podcast app. At Matt Whitman TMBH on Twitter is a good way to get a hold of me. Thank you very much again for joining us. Thank you so much. This was really, really a pleasure. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for being gracious enough to invite me to say weird stuff and just see how it goes. We'd like to do this again if it's possible, because I think we could have a lot more to talk about. So maybe we'll see if that works out sometime. I really enjoyed processing, and uh, I was a little uncomfortable with the role that I was playing, but... um, I hope it was fruitful, and I, I, was I enjoyed happy thinking together. To hand the lead to you at that at those points, because that's exactly what we wanted. So, cool. All right. thank you. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Sounds see good. ya.